You ever been to Subway? Yes. You order a sandwich? Somebody put that together for you, dude. That's art. Sandwich artist. Hey, podcast listener. Even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. This week on the podcast, we ask the question, can you make a living with your art? Okay, I misspoke a little bit. It's actually Nate asked the question, so I'm just going to let him do that. Hey, Dan and Ian. This is Nate from the D.C., and I've recently pretty much celebrated my one-year anniversary as a member of the D.C., and when I think back to a year ago, the progress I've made in terms of both business and mindset is pretty much immeasurable. It's uh, apples and oranges, so I wanted to thank you guys for that. My niche and my background is something that people ask me a lot about, and as you may know, I am a musician, and Dan, I'm pretty sure... You're a musician or a former musician as well. So I am still part of the music community here in New York. And one question people ask me a lot is, I'm moving to New York or I just graduated from music school. I want to support myself while I make music. What should I do? And I thought this would be a super interesting question to get you guys' thoughts on. We could even expand it out to artists. Say you want to practice your art and you need to free yourself financially and time-wise. I think that we all agree that the whole idea of the muse from four-hour work week, where you spend a few months, throw up a drop shipping site and you're set, those days are over. You know, you guys have talked about the thousand days. So is it even possible to continue practicing your art on the side while you grow a business? Is there a way that you would encourage artists to channel their business through their art or try to monetize their art? I'm just really super curious on you guys' take on this. Anyway, thanks so much for the great podcast. I really look forward to them every week. Thanks so much for the DC. Hope I will be catching up with you guys in October in Bangkok. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay. Well, I love this question, Ian. I did want to be a rock star at one point. Maybe I'll go into that a little bit. Nathaniel actually sent us a follow-up email. You know, Nathaniel does drum training, which I think is really cool. So he's taken, you know, his artistic passion for playing drums, that motivation, and said, you know, I'm going to train other people how to do this and turn it into a little bit of a business. He said, the guys who approach me often have seen my YouTube channel and understand that being an artist, quote artist, is a roll of the dice, financially speaking. So they don't want to depend on it to feed them. But they also know that to become really excellent takes years of dedication. So they need time and money so they can make their art. Very interesting. I don't want to get too philosophical. We're going to talk about some business models that artists can use in this episode, as well as a concept that Kevin Kelly recently talked about called the hard middle. Finding the hard middle might be the real opportunity for artists, but I want to take a step back to ask a little bit, what is art? Because when you look back at like the things that we call fine art nowadays are often what in a previous generation were technologies. Like 
and you're a furniture designer, there are certain pieces of furniture that now sell for millions of dollars started by these guys in England that were basically the first manufacturers of standard designs because there was the rise of the middle class in industrial England and all of a sudden they've all got parlors and they all need dining room tables. So instead of just the neighbor that's pretty good with woodworking or your servant making the table, you buy it from this guy that's got the plans and his factory pumps it out for you. And now this guy's looked back on as this genius furniture artist person, but really he's a dude who owned a factory. Same thing when I was in Spain last year looking at Velazquez paintings. You know, this guy is a legitimate genius, considered one of the best painters of all time. But he created wall coverings for giant homes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like there was a real kind of need for that art at that time. And now we sort of look at these things as these airy, like passion, you know, kind of weird art things. But at the time I was like, hey, I need a dining room table. Can someone get me a dining room table at a decent price? Yeah, or the church is going to chop your head off if you don't do this painting for us. So get to work. Yeah, I think we do tend to idolize some of these people. I mean, the one thing, though, that I think, Dan, that makes them artists is that they were true to their craft and they practiced it all the time. The guy that owned the furniture factory and the painter, they painted for 12 hours a day. And I think that that's really important. Talk about John Mayer all the time. The guy has been playing the guitar since he could probably walk. And I think that that's really important when you talk about being a professional artist is almost all the professional artists that I can think of off the top of my head, whether it be a painter or a professional race car driver, I I see that as an artist of some sort. They've all been doing it since they could barely walk and they practice 12 hours a day. And I think if you want to be at that level... That's kind of what it takes. And like you were talking about before, some of these people, they might have accidentally fallen into it. It's like, hey, that's the only trade I know is woodworking. So that's what I do for 12 hours a day. But if you want to be a professional, I think that's what it takes. One of the critical components to that is having the fuel to work 12 hours a day. And what does that look like? Well, it could look like a ultimatum from the church. It could look like profit. It could look like I got to put food on the table. And so sometimes I think there can be a real benefit to doing art or building artifacts that other people need because that's going to drive you. That's going to fuel your passion rather than having some passion that just hinges on your self-motivation all the time. Sometimes I look back at my desire to be an artist and I hung out with so many local musicians. And I feel like, look, life is tough. And it's easy to look at rock stars and artists and stuff and say, man, they got it great. And I want to be a part of that. And you know, when I'm hanging out with local musicians, I see a lot of that. Sometimes they're not necessarily that serious about being the next Incubus or being the next Maroon 5. They're thinking, you know, it's just really nice to strap on the skinny jeans for five hours a week and to be a part of this world that helps me to forget about all the pressures of real life. The pressure is like, how am I going to put food on the table? But oftentimes I think your art can be better off if it has to go through that pressure. Does that make sense? Because like, there's a reason why local musicians are local musicians. Because there's a lot of songs out there and you got to write some pretty damn good ones in order to get recognized. So what if the local musician said, you know what, I'm not going to go to the club and strap on the skinny jeans. Instead, I'm going to write podcast jingles or whatever. Being a baseball player isn't that interesting. Being a poet isn't that interesting. But if you're a baseball player 
who also writes poetry, all of a sudden you got an interesting person. It's the same <laughs> thing if you're an artist or a business person. It's like, well, writing songs, you know, strapping on the skinny jeans is not that interesting. But what if you write custom music for podcasters? Now all of a sudden you've added some fuel to your artistic passion, maybe some reason and motivation to sit behind a guitar for five hours a day. And two years from now, you're going to be in a much better position than if it was just sort of a sideline thing that you hoped to do someday. I think the other thing that you're hitting on here, Dan, is how a lot of these artists have become basically commodities. So, you know, when you look at like being a painter, you really have to be in the top 1% to get noticed or to be anybody. And you think about the time commitment that that takes. And like I said before, I think you're starting when you're six years old and you're working for 12 hours a day. But it's a really, I don't want to say outdated, but it's something that we've been doing for such a long time. And it's something that so many people do that it's a commodity. Now, being a podcaster, that's a little bit different, right? Because this is a fairly new medium. And I'm not going to say that being a podcaster is better than being a painter, but it's a lot easier to monetize it because there's a lot less people doing it. So when you're a painter, you're competing with millions of other people. When you're a podcaster, there's not too many podcasters yet. Maybe in the future there will be. I was listening to an episode of The Champs the other day, one of my favorite podcasts. There's this comedian. He does stand up, but his main gig is making funny vines. And I just thought, yeah, that's a great niche because here's this guy. He's on the Champs podcast. They've had SNL stars on the Champs podcast. So a guy that made Vines gets to be on the same podcast that a guy that is on SNL. It's 10 times, 100 times, a million times harder to be on SNL than it is to be a Vine star. But he just picked the right medium. So I do think it matters these days, the medium that you're picking. And if you're trying to swim with all the other fish down to SNL or on the stage with Incubus, you're going to have a hell of a time. So it might make sense to pick a different path, but still kind of pursue the same craft. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And if you're a painter, you're also, you know, competing against large-scale digital format printing, right? <laughs> you know, like, who's sitting around thinking, you know, I could either commission some RISD student to seek out their vision on my living room wall, or I could just go down and buy something. By the way, talking about painters here for a minute, it is the same old ass industry that it has been for the last probably 100 years. Like, you know, I got a little shake in my pocket these days. And, you know, I went and I looked up a couple of my favorite artists and like trying to actually buy one of their paintings. It's so difficult. It's like, yeah, they're showing in New York two weeks from now. Like, you know, it's like this person represents this person. I'm like, this is such bullshit. I'm like, put your stuff online and I will gladly pay you probably what you're asking for it. You can't sell champagne off the back of that, buddy. Let's, speaking of podcasters, let's listen to a little clip what Ira Glass has to say about being an artist. I really like his mindset on this. Nobody uh, tells people who are beginners, and I really wish somebody had told this to me, is that um, all of us who do creative work, like, you know, we get into it and we get into it because we have good taste. But it's like there's a gap that for the first couple of years that you're making stuff, what you're making isn't so good, okay? It's not that great. It's, it's, it's trying to be good. It has ambition to be good, but it's not quite that good. But your taste, the thing that got you into the game, your, your taste is still killer. And your taste is good enough that you can tell that what you're making is kind of a disappointment to you. You know what I mean? A lot of people never get past that phase. A lot of people at that point, they quit. And the thing I, I would just like say to you with all my heart is that m most everybody I know who does interesting creative work they went through a phase of years where they had really good taste, they could tell what they were making wasn't as good as they wanted it to be. They knew it felt short. It didn't have this special thing that we wanted it to have. And 
the thing I would say to you is everybody goes through that. And for you to go through it, if you're going through it right now, if you're just getting out of that phase, you got to know it's totally normal. And the most important possible thing you could do is do a lot of work. Do a huge volume of work. Put yourself on a deadline so that every week or every month you know you're going to finish one story. Because it's only by actually going through a volume of work that you're actually going to ca catch up and close that gap. And your, the work you're making will be as good as your ambitions. In my case, like I, I took longer to figure out how to do this than anybody I've ever met. It takes a while. It's going to take you a while. It's normal to take a while. And you just have to fight your way through that. Okay? You know, one thing that Ira has is an audience. And I think that that really for artists is the key thing is asking yourself, what is the quality of your audience? Because there's this concept that Kevin Kelly has recently brought up. He calls it the hard middle. And this is really where a thousand true fans lives. And I thought before we discuss it, it might make sense, Ian, if you don't mind for me to play a few clips about Kevin Kelly talking about the hard middle, because I think that this is the place where artists can make their dough, so to speak. I'm beaming in briefly from the planet of post-production to mention that the following excerpt is from the excellent interview that James Altiker did on his show of Kevin Kelly. We will link to that excellent interview in the show notes of this podcast. If you can sell what you're making, whether, whatever, whether it's music or photography or a, um, a film or a book, whatever it is, if you can sell it directly to your audience without having to go through a studio or a publisher, if you were making something where you could, on an annual basis, um, have sales from each of your fans of like uh, $50 or $100 or something of that level, then the numbers that you would need to support yourself would be in the range of 1000 the beauty of the, of the internet is that it facilitates improvement at all scales. It helps the hits, you know, Gingham style. That's a, that's, that was possible because of the internet. It helps the long tail, people who are satisfied with reaching the 100 people who really um, are interested in jellyfish aquariums. And it also allows and amplifies the hard middle for the first time. Um, but I think that area is generally ignored by most people they they think about you know the solo person at the end and the big hits but it's that it's that mom and pop lifestyle middle territory that i think is actually the most un, unserved and most interesting so how can we find the hard middle as artists and i think what, what kevin's saying is like look the internet has really created this opportunity for us to in a mom and pop style way find people that are really passionate about what you do and have them basically sort of distribute it your patronage. So back in the good old days, you needed to find like a king or a queen to like commission your stuff. And you basically had to kowtow to what they said. Well, now you just distribute that across a thousand or a few thousand potential audience members and they'll fund what you do. So that gets rid of this whole like go big or go home thinking that's so common in the art world. Like I got to be the next whatever. I got to make it big. You don't have to make it big. You can find yourself a niche. You know, I think about it in like the rock band world. Maybe this isn't the best example, but you know, there's this band that plays Nintendo theme songs. So I could imagine them. It's like every new game that comes out, like they produce a track 
of the hottest video game that month and they put it out on their website and they don't have to be on the Jimmy Kimmel show and they don't have to have the number one record in the world in order to make a buck because they're having patrons all around the world who love video games, who love music. Again, it's like the baseball pitcher who writes poems. It's the musician who writes Nintendo theme songs for people and every new Nintendo game comes out. I'm going to pay you some money to support your work. And that's something that people can get down with. They can pay 30, 50 bucks a year. And all you need is a few thousand people doing that. And boom, you're funding your art. Dan, an example that's near and dear to my heart right now, I am in the garage. That's my new podcast spot, by the way. But in the other side of the garage is my track car that I'm working on. I just bought this roll bar from this guy, and it's beautiful. It's really well done. And this guy, in my mind, he's an artist, right? He's a fabricator. He could be fabricating on the shipyard, I'm sure, or he could be making these roll bars, and he's found himself a niche. So like you're talking about with Kevin Kelly, it's right in the middle there. Like This guy has figured out a way to produce what I call works of art, work on his craft and sell them to a very small niche audience. And I think this guy's been doing it for like 10 years. Same as the guys that are playing the rock songs to the Nintendo theme songs. I think you got to find your audience. You got to find your niche. And again, I don't think you want to be competing with everybody, you know, like this guy, he could be next to the guy at the shipyard waiting for a job, you know, just lined up, but he's not. You know, because he found himself a niche and he found himself an avenue to do something a little bit different with his craft. And one way to think about the hard middle is like, look, there's no one sitting around thinking, man, I need another rock song. I think Led Zeppelin took care of that. You know what I mean? So if you want to get into the rock song business, you're going up a steep hill. But what people do need is curation. I think you can look at people like Maria Popova. Look at, you know, Hannibal Burris has those comedy shows in Brooklyn, like every other month or week or something. That's a really great value. It's like someone who's got great comedic taste curating all of this abundance of jokes that we have. So, you know, this loops it all together because you look to what Ira Glass is saying is he's saying it's your taste that makes you want to be an artist because you look out at the world and you're like, hey, this is the way music should be. This is the way painting should be. This is the way metal work should be. This is the way race cars should be. That's the primordial ooze of an artist. Well, now we've got this opportunity to use that taste to turn yourself into a curator. So that could be an opportunity for you to curate the things that you love and present them to people like yourself that could be your, quote, hard middle opportunity. There's a distribution here. And I really like Kevin's idea that the real opportunity of the internet, yes, you've got your Facebooks and in the art world, you've got your Gangnam Styles. You've got things that are going to go bigger than they've ever gone because of the power law. But the real opportunity is in the middle. So what I'm saying is, you know, don't go out there and try to be Facebook. Or don't go out there and try to be Jay-Z. And on the other hand, you know, what's the point of being a starving artist anymore? You know, what's the point of trying to be the next behind the music or, you know, having an employer or a benefactor or trying to build an AdSense business so you can do what you really want at night? I mean, honestly, where I would go with this is if I really want to sit around and play guitar all day long and write songs, which honestly, Ian, I found out that I didn't. And I think maybe considering where your art could fit into the hard middle, you know, where are those few thousand people that could pay you anywhere from 30 to $100 a year to give yourself a living? If you feel like that's a complete bastardization of your art, well, maybe you don't really want to do the work. You know, that's what I found out. The punchline for all this for me is that I didn't really want to write songs. I wanted the benefits that I perceived songwriters to have. I thought that they were free. I thought that they got to travel a lot. I thought that they got to wear cool skinny jeans. And all those things might be true, but the reason that they're true is that they were able to do work that was valuable for other people. 
And you know, if you just still want to be a rock star, maybe there's a way to sort of combine the thinking a little bit. Like what people really want is an experience. Actually, that's an opportunity for rock bands. It's like, what if your show became an interactive experience for people to go to? So like they watched your music on YouTube and they went to your live performance and somehow it's more than just the next five rock songs. Yeah, you know, I think just to finalize my thoughts on this stuff, Dan, I think two things. One, I think is experiment and make sure if it's like the mini vacation thing, right? So like experiment, take a mini vacation, make sure that on your mini vacation, you're spending your time doing what you think you want to do. So for some people that might be golf, it's like, yes, I love golfing. I took six months off and I golfed every day and I still love it or, you know, I'm not that into it. I mean, I've done this experiment with racing cars before, took some time off or like basically did it every weekend. And it's like, hey, that's great, but I need a little bit more balance in my life. I don't want to do that full time. And so I learned a lot about myself then. The other thing is, you know, in terms of your art, I think it's got to provide other people with something too, you know, and it's got to have some kind of commercial appeal like we were talking about. So like if you were just painting for yourself and that's how you want to spend your time and you have no desire to sell your paintings to anybody and it's just like, I'm going to be a shut in and paint. Well, then you got to have some kind of other income. All right. It's just realistic that you do that. So whether it be real estate investments or stocks or whatever it might be, it's like you got to be good at something else to provide yourself with that opportunity. And don't trust the record label. Once they do sign you, it doesn't mean that it's going to work out for you. It actually means that it's not going to work out for you. That's the way that the record business works. Nine out of 10 signings don't work out. But even if it does work out, it doesn't mean it works out. You know, a lot of these people end up broke because they spent their whole life trusting that if they just got signed or if they just got their exhibition in the MoMA or whatever. And oftentimes it doesn't work like that because you sort of outsource that thinking for the last 10 years. And now all of a sudden you got to do that thinking. It's the same idea of like, you know, the dentist, the famous, we always bag on dentists, but you know, they spend their whole life, you know, fixing teeth. And then all of a sudden they become pro investors at 50 or whatever. And they lose it because they didn't practice investing. They practice cleaning teeth. So I think it's sort of interesting to start early and often. And if you're an artist out there, it's funny, you know, we did our DC new member call last night, Ian, I think there was 17 people on the call and there was probably 15 musicians. It was crazy. Yeah. And a couple of them were making a professional living off it. Yes. By doing different kinds of music training and stuff. And it's really interesting that kind of being an entrepreneur is, is creative. It's a creative act. And so you can pull these things together. And so if you just want to rock out, if you want to do your thing, you brought up the golf example, check out the Dan plan. Here's a guy who said, hey, I heard this 10,000 hour thing from Malcolm Gladwell, and I'm going to combine that with golf, this thing I was always curious about, and I'm going to see if he's right. And he just started doing it on social media, started writing about it. And do you think that that guy's playing golf for a living? Yeah, yeah, sure. He is. Precisely. But I think the important thing to notice there, though, is like while he was playing golf, he was providing opportunity and insight and he was providing value for other people. He wasn't just playing golf for himself. That's a really important point. Yeah, I agree. And and I think that there's hope here. So, okay, you need a thousand true fans to make a living with your art. Well, it takes a thousand days to grow a thriving business per this podcast. So one fan a day, like do things for them every day, write them a song, interact with them. You know, don't just go to your hole. If you create a conversation between you and your audience and do interesting things for them, interact with them, straight hustle, like earn your fans. And you see people doing this. This is really possible. My version of being in a local band is you go to the practice joint, you know, 
three or four times a week. And then you, you play all these random gigs and you hope that an A&R guy finds you. Like that's kind of the vibe. Well, you don't need to do that. And that's all this infrastructure that really hides you from what you're doing, which is earning fans, passionate fans. So I think if you can do that through Instagram or SoundCloud or your own blog or your Facebook page, that's the way to do it. And you're going to know right away. You're going to know if you're earning your fans or not. I got that sense like when I was in a band, my last band at least, I was like, I think we're our own biggest fans here. I don't, I don't think other people really. <laughs> I think for whatever reason, you know, people would rather listen to that new Maroon 5 jam than whatever we just came up with in the practice room. And I don't blame them. <laughs> yeah, for whatever reason. <laughs> so final thought for me, Dan, I've been taking a lot of time bagging on painters throughout the episode. But the truth is like, this is the best time in the history of the world to be a painter. Yes. Because you have this thing called the internet on your side. So not not only do you have your paintbrush, you have the internet and you can find very interesting ways to monetize your painting and you can find a thousand people to buy your paintings, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a really great time to be an artist. I really do think that, Dan. And just imagine how hard it was back in the day to be an artist, especially if you weren't enslaved. I mean, it was impossible. So <laughs> I absolutely agree with you. This is the best time we've ever seen to be an artist. Either back in the day, you needed to have like the Pope or King or something giving you money and you were under their thumb and you had to make all these hidden messages in your heart or whatever in order to express yourself or you need to hit it big and be world famous like now all that's gone and I'm sure all of those artists who put up with those constraints had a few friends you know people in their network maybe an uncle or aunt who were like hey you're awesome I love what you do. And if you've got those three or four people, that probably means that you can go on the internet and find those three or four people in every county around your country and every country around your country. And you see what I'm saying? You can find a thousand people with the internet. Yep. And that's really the opportunity. So if you've got three or four friends who are not in their heads legitimately at the back of your concert, you might be in good shape. So I think the moral for me, Dan, in all this is that some of these scripts that we've been looking at, you know, becoming Michelangelo, becoming Incubus, lead singer, they might not be the best way, especially now that we have the internet. There's so many other ways to be creative and to monetize your craft. So, you know, maybe we should stop looking up at the stars, Dan, and maybe we should, like you said, look a little bit more towards the middle. All right, I think we could leave it at that. Big thanks for your question, Nathaniel, and good luck with your art. You can comment on this episode or check out the links to all the things we mentioned. The show notes will be at tropicalmba.com slash art. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.